This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. Most people do it, they go to a bar and they'll just order what they've had before because it's, you know, it's safe, especially with people's money at the moment. You, want, you know you want to get what you want. You don't want to take a gamble so much. And I think it's, that's going to get even worse over the next yeah. couple of years. So we need to make it as good as it can be every time. Going back to that consistency thing. So when people spend their hard-earned money on our beer, they know they're getting something good. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. This week's guest, we have Ross Shields from Flock Brewery based out of Canterbury, UK. Now, for anyone that's tried Ross's beers, you'll know that these guys know how to brew, especially when it comes to all things hops. Uh, But this is a very new journey for him. He's gone from filling a few hundred litre tanks to a few thousand litre tanks. And when I sat down with him, he was only four months into producing beer at his new site. Uh, I kind of sprang this on Ross when he was uh, up with us to do a collaboration. It was really great to sit down with him and hear his honesty about what it takes to get something off the ground. I very much sprung this interview on him, like I said. Uh, We also filmed this, so you will be able to see this on YouTube, and that's why the audio is slightly different. Um, Yeah, so if you want to tune into that, you can. Yeah, so loads to take away from this one. If you're thinking about taking that next step from homebrew to brewery owner, this one's for you. So let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the Thirst Time, and this is our interview with Ross Shields. And we start with that all-important question, what was that first beer for him? Like everyone, kind of 10 years ago, I was drinking macro lager mm-hmm. in pubs quite happily, not really seeing any difference or anything. And then one of my friends, Nick, got me into neck oil, um, which was really good then. Yep. Um, I haven't know. had it for a while. I, I imagine it's, it's probably still good. Yeah, yeah. Um, a gateway beer. Yes, say. for sure. Um, and then it was, you know, punk IPA. And then you steadily kind of start tasting more, you know, your beers, um, cloud water when you've got a bit of money. Um, and, you know, you just start, your flavor needs increase. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of all I drink Yeah. is the hoppy side of things. So that's what we make at the moment. Um, and timeline-wise, because yeah. I forget like how recent, because we generally, when I'm asking this question, maybe it's breweries that have been established for two decades, maybe it's a decade, maybe it's five years. Yeah. So generally, there's the, the consensus of like Sierra Nevada's, Punk IPA, obviously, especially yeah. in the British scene. But wh- when are we kind of talking here that you kind of really dipped your toe into this as, a, as an industry? Um, it was... I started the brewery two years ago, basically. Yeah. But before that, I was a photographer, um, an advertising photographer, used to work around the world, and then had a big ad job that I didn't really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Money was good, but didn't really enjoy. And then someone very close to me passed away. Um, and, then, and then it was just kind of a, a thought about what I wanted to do with my life. I was early 30s. Am I enjoying this? Not really. Um, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. Do I want to build something? Do I want to kind of just keep plugging away, doing what I'm doing, not enjoying it? Um, so yeah, I took some time out, went to a 
few countries around the world for a few months um, with my wife. And yeah, we just, it was something Logan Plant said when he was at NBC. He said, sometimes there's a realization about why I got into this business, about how amazing the people are. And I was like, that sounds good. That sounds nice. You know, being in a business where people are friendly, helpful, because photography, it can be a bit of a closed shop. Yeah. You know, it's quite secretive, lighting, closed studios, that kind of thing. But in brewing, it's the opposite. Yeah. And I've realized that over, the, especially the last few months since you started, how much people are open to helping and, you know, offering a leg up, like yeah. me coming here, the collab we've done recently with the big guys, you know, it's, it's been amazing. And it is 100% the opposite. And I'll give you an example. Like when I used to do photography, I used to do, you know, do work, give a picture over that you spent hours retouching and that, and you wouldn't get an email back, you wouldn't get a thanks or anything like that. But then you sell someone a beer, so you've taken their money for your product, and they say thanks. <laughs> You're like, this is amazing. What a beautiful cycle that is. I know. You'd thank for the, yeah, all the work that you yeah. put into something. <clears throat> yeah, I guess when we, we, we spoke briefly at uh, These Hills, um, chatting about, obviously, we're doing a collab today, so if you're just listening to the audio of this, we're sat in the tap room as we speak. Um, and we spoke a little bit about you know, photography, so it's something that I really love and has been one of the great parts of the job is like learning photography. And a lot of people would say that where you landed with that was success. You'd reached success in that field. And, but like the realization, I guess, when you've traveled this journey and get to that point and actually like, this isn't giving me the fulfillment that I once thought it would no. or, or, or when I, I don't know if you studied it or it was just a kind of yeah. labor of love that you get to that point of being like, actually, the thing that I've kind of put all my cards in or, or you know, gambled, I, gambled's probably the wrong word, isn't, isn't the thing I want to do. Yeah. And was that like a painful it's, thought or was it just, just a, a glaring admission to yourself that actually I can carry on just being unhappy and doing this or I can try and find something that I really care about? I'd say it's more kind of annoying. Yeah. That you feel like you put, like for me, it was 15 years into yeah. it. You know, I did a degree in photography. I assisted for eight, nine years. But I had a good time. I traveled the world, you know, earned some money. Um, but, you know, 30% of the people do it in their early 30s. They change yeah. career. You move on um, and it's just about kind of having the means and support around you to do it yeah um, for me as my wife you know she always pushed me to do it um, just to be happy you've got to kind of chase happiness over anything else I think in life yeah I mean especially yeah if, if you're facing another decade of something that feels like this is going to be a slog and if you've got a supportive partner that makes such a difference yeah. I guess yeah so when Logan Plant said that you were just a, a happy drinker at that time. Yeah, yeah. And um, sort of tried some poppy offerings from breweries in New Zealand. And, you know, in, when we were traveling in these kind of remote countries, it was just, you know, lager, lager, lager. But yeah. um, I don't know. It was just a moment. I, we were on our way back. Like, there a couple of weeks left. And I was like, I've got, got to decide. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to think of something to do. Um, and so, yeah, I just made the decision. I think I was on a beach somewhere and I was like, right, I'm going to do it. And when I do something, I do it full on. Right. So I don't kind of, I don't do things half-assed and I don't go into things without learning the process. So I started home brewing. There was a brew place in Clapton, which is really near my photography studio, um, which had 10, 15 brownmeisters, the, mm -hmm. the small 20 litre pots. And I used to go there and instead of working in the studio, I'd just go and brew 
three stations, That's so fire cool. them in the daytime, <laughs> and then brew beers. I, I knew I wouldn't drink, you know, like Imperial Stouts or this, that, and the other, just because I, like, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the, I'm a little bit OCD, so I enjoyed the, every part of it has to be right. Yeah. Like the cleanliness, the, the grist makeup, you know, the percentages, the, the time you dry half, or this, that, and the other. I really enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy the weight. I'm a pretty instant. With photography, I always enjoyed because it was instant. Instant gratification. Yeah, so you, you get can that. see the image. But I didn't enjoy the kind of two, three week wait and then, you know, I bottle condition stuff or I dump it because I knew I wasn't going to drink it. Um, but then I started kind of making too much for me to drink. So you give it to your friends. And then from there, I did a course at the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. Um, and then applied for, you know, I whipped out like 200 emails to breweries mm -hmm. trying to get any work. Um, and understandably, breweries don't just let any old soldier come into their brewery because things can go wrong. Yeah. Um, and a place in Kent said yes. So I worked there for free for three months, just cleaning casks, that yep. kind of thing. And then I went back to London. I was still living in London, but I'd drive out of London at five in the morning to that place. And then I, I realized I had to kind of get a job close to home. Um, so I worked mm. at Hamilton for a bit, cleaning yeah. casks, bit of brewing, and then at One Mile End, um, did that for another year, brewing. And then when we moved to the coast, we realized quickly there was no jobs really in Thanet area mm -hmm. for brewing. So we, well, I kind of decided that I needed to go back to Kent. So it was like an hour drive again, leaving at five in the morning, brewing five times a week, racking myself the same day on a 10 barrel kit, did that for a year and a bit. And, and then when the first lockdown happened, it was um, like the day, the Monday, the lockdown happened. I got a phone call saying, don't need you in anymore. Because they're fully cask, yeah. no small pack. Yeah, there's no, there's no options they've got. Yeah. No. So, in, so that time period, is that a, like a two year period of basically? About a three year period. Three overall. year period. Yeah. And obviously I'm just tired. You telling me that story makes me feel tired. <laughs> like, because getting up those early mornings, then commuting and then coming back, and, and the graft that goes into, especially if you're doing like cask beers and racking and that kind of thing, it's, yeah. it's full on. It's not, it's no joke. Um, but what was your kind of feelings at that time? Was, were you just like a kid in a sweet shop, or were you like, actually, this is the, the harsh reality of like how labor intensive this is? I loved it. Yeah. I felt it was like it, you, do a, you do a hard day's work for, well, it's crap money yeah but at the end of the day when you when you've worked hard and you know there's 1600 liters of beer ready to go fermenting in a tank you feel chuffed mm -hmm. and then you can taste it through the process you've got something to show for your efforts and again people saying thank you or enjoying it and then but if you work somewhere where you're a production brewer and you're not really messing around with the processes and you're doing the same thing over and over again it does start to get a little bit monotonous where you're just doing the same painting my numbers basically yeah so for me it was always thought you might as well just start your own thing. It was always in my head. It took me like two years to think of the name Flock. Was that, was that literally the, when you start, I guess you were doing homebrewing first, uh, right from that moment, it was like, I, this, my brain works in a way that I need to be working for myself. I guess as a photographer, you were kind of, you know, you were working for clients, but it was kind of under your own yeah. steam. Yeah, I always wanted to build something. Yeah. Um, and it was always building the brand and the beer together. There's a lot of breweries doing great beer, but the branding's not great. There's a lot of breweries doing great branding, but the beer's not great. If you can do both at the same time, 
then I think you're on to something. Yeah. Um, so that's what took the time is to think of the name, get the packaging right, find the artist. The beer, you know, I've never kind of, when I started then the small kit, it was never a kind of easy process for me because I hadn't worked in breweries that did such extreme hop rates or yeah. we'd always done the kind of formulaic additions, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 30. So it was always very formulaic, whereas was there even much dry hopping going on in the brews that you Not were? in the cast one, no. Zero. Yeah. It was those hop oils, um, which tastes a bit funny. But it was, yeah, it was always an idea to kind of do my own thing. Yeah. But it took the time to kind of think of the name and what I wanted to achieve and kind of have the courage and conviction to actually get on with it. And the reason I got on with it is because I had to. Yeah. I had no job. Lockdown well, that's happened. it, I guess. Yeah, lock th- that lockdown for a lot of people was, you know... I've mentioned this a few times in different interviews, it was just like, no one knows what's going to happen. Like, no. I was like, I've got one wage left, maybe. <laughs> you know, thankfully, we did, we did okay through it. Yeah. But like for you, that's, that's like, right, maybe a good thing, you know, looking back on it, because it meant that yeah. you, if you were going to do this, you have to commit to it. There's no other options on the table. The breweries that you've worked with is basically closed down for business yeah. until, you know, the pub culture kicks on. Yeah. So was that a terrifying moment or was that like, are you happy that your, your hand was dealt, um, like a hand was dealt to you that you, you just had to go forth with? I had, by that point, I had, I had the logo, I had the, you know. I, okay, so the, the ideas were kind of formulated. To well, I also had a six month old baby. Okay, different. So <laughs> it was, you know, it's, uh, that adds a certain level of stress, but my wife is a couples therapist, a relationship therapist. Wow. So. When my work was stopping, her work was getting busier. Wow, that's so it was during lockdown. It, yeah, you know, so she could work from home. I could look after Robin a bit. So I bought a one-barrel SS Brutech fermenter, um, uh, the Brutals 150, and I had it in my kitchen for six months. I think mm-hmm. it was. Um, so I'd set it to warm up in the morning, um, bring my kid down at like six o'clock whenever he got up. And then we just start brewing. So he just smacked the stainless steel. That is so cool. Because he loved it. He loved seeing his face in it. Um, yeah, and then I'd be done by like two and then we just chill out, you know. It was all, those early pictures on Instagram were all from the effort I made in the kitchen. Wow. And it was about getting a small following and a little bit of interest before you start because you need that. You need something to kind of get you on your journey. You can't, it's, it's not really a business where, you know, the scale we are now, if we'd just gone into producing like 16,000 liters a month. Mm-hmm. That's it's so competitive. Like nowadays, that's just, that's just idiocy. Like you can't yeah. do that. And if you do do that and it works, then fair play. But um, so for me, it was always start small and build from there. So the, the kind of crazy thing that you did, Ross, is that you, um, that homebrew in your kitchen became a, like a commercial product. Yeah, I mean, I changed the, <laughs> I had, um, when I did the AWRS, which is alcohols, wholesale retail yeah. scheme. At first I registered the kit, tried to register the kitchen, they wouldn't let me. So registered the shed, which didn't exist outside, and then registered the unit in Margate. Um, so I thought at first, you know, I could do it from the sh- a shed if I built it in the, but then you soon realize you can't do that. Yeah. You've got so much storage and it's not just the beer, it's everything else that you need. Um, so yeah. So I got to a stage where I was like, well, it's, I need to move somewhere. 
So then I found a small unit. Well, I tried to get a unit in Margate with the council. It took nine months not to get anywhere. So then I found somewhere in Margate. It's like 400 square foot. But never wanted to show the size of it. it I always wanted it to be perceived as bigger than it was. Yeah. Because a lot of these breweries that start really small, they show off the homebrew kit. And that's just not aspirational. You know, it might interest some people, but it's not it. For me, it wasn't interest. It wasn't where it needed to be perceived. So, um, so I concentrated more on the final product um, and the sales of those. Was, you know, it was ridiculous. It's better direct customer sales then than it is now. If you see what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I, I remember like hearing about them and, and seeing them and people talking about them. Yeah. And uh, that's that's an amazing achievement in itself to do that, and in such a crowded market. And I guess the, the beauty of it is that the scale that you were at was that no great risk in, in what you're doing at that point. No. You know, you can be quite experimental and but still you've got to churn out a product that is gonna get people excited. Yeah. And it's gotta look great. Perception's key yeah. to quite a lot of it. Um, the beer has to be good. And you know, I've hand can 200 cans and that's probably max I'd ever get out. Like 180 was about average. Um, I did everything I could to make that beer on a hand canning thing as good as possible went out. But to be honest, like, I had no, you know, no way of testing it. What's no, no two meter now, like 16 yeah. grand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those things where I couldn't, I just couldn't, it was tricky because the beer when, I, when it left me was great. So they were basically good growlers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which and, is all you can achieve at that, yeah. at that kind of size. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I was doing everything. I was deaerating the water. I was purging for 12 seconds. You know, we do six now on the canning line. Um, I was bubbling CO2 through back and I was dry hopping. I was doing everything I could. I, I read so much information because we never, at the breweries I worked at, even if we did dry hop, we'd never do the processes we do now mm-hmm. that kind of mitigate as much O2 problems as possible. So I had to kind of learn from scratch with that. Um, so yeah, the beer was, it was all right at the beginning. Yeah. I was happy with it when it was coming out. I dumped so many batches. But when it's small, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's, but it started to kind of become a bit annoying that the beer wasn't traveling as well as it should. Yeah. Um, so I actually stopped canning in like January 2021 when I did an interview with, um, on a podcast. And I, had, I didn't have any beer to sell because I'd had some issues with the beer coming out not how I wanted it. So I'd done three months of like brew, 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 dump, dump, dump. Um, anyway, so I'd, I had to buy some back from the Fuss Club. And it just didn't take, it wasn't popping like it did when, I, when it left me. So I was like, right, okay, something's going on here. And it had to be oxygen, you know. It's like yeah. it, was just, it just faded. So yeah, I completely stopped with that. And then the brews were coming out, even the same brew over and over again were coming out differently every time. And it was, I was using mains water and just kind of burtonizing it and that kind of thing. And it, I must have done like 1,200 litre batches, 160 litre batches, and canned some of them, you know, hours and hours. I was in there seven days a week, dry hopping, carbonating, you know, doing all yeah. this stuff, and it just wasn't coming out right. So then I moved to RO water, and then it all fixed itself. I was like, there we go. So that's what we use now in the new place. I don't want any surprises like that. Yeah, the foundation, which is water. It but all like, starts. Yeah, it all starts with that. And, As you know, we, we went through a kind of similar thing, but on a bigger scale. Yeah. And you're getting these, you know, there's a lot of, I'm not going to pretend I know all the chemistry, but like if you've got chlorine content and you've got exactly. hops and all of these kind of stuff yeah. and then yeast health and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So what is your day looking like? I, so seven days a week, 
that was it. Eight yeah. hours a day. Yeah, I was yeah. in there. Yeah, the whole time. You know. And you're just so. This is just you at this point. Yeah. Like a yeah. crazy uh, professor in his Band laboratory, out, just trying to trying to make something work. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess the hardest part for you is it's um, being able to each process be in control of each process because you can get it up to the point of being in the can and you yeah. know that it's tasting really good. Yeah. But for anyone that knows a little bit about canning and packaging, any, any oxygen content is gonna change that beer yeah. pretty rapidly. And like you said, a, a DO meter or something is yeah. five grand, six grand or, you know, and some pars get, get right up there. Yeah. Um, so what did you do when, when, at the point where you were just like, this isn't the beer that I want it to be? Yeah. I mean, you haven't got many other, like, Keg-wise, you've got, what, on a 100 litre, you've got I'd sometimes, three, four kegs. No, I'd, to, I'd to sometimes get. get four 20 litres out. Yeah. My losses were like 30-odd percent. Yeah. Um, these small SS Brewtech fermenters have got a coil inside, like a chilling coil, where the hops would just hold to that. So I had to soft filter it with a really, like, quite a coarse filter. But yeah. I had to. There was no way. Otherwise, you just get hot matter through everything. And, and then we got invited to Hop City. And I was, but the beer had started tasting better, like really good yeah. with the RO water. So I was like, all right, fine, we can keg stuff now. But there was literally no point in me selling those kegs. Like to actually make any money, I'd have to sell it for you know, 200 quid, a 20 litre keg, no one's buying that. So I kind of just decided to concentrate on festivals. So I brewed, like Easy Way Out is the only beer we've rebrewed so far from the old site. Mm -hmm. And I brewed that five times for Hop City. And I took four extra kegs. In the car, and just, just to make sure that just it was... like if anything, if anything messed up, I was just so I agonise over everything. And like literally, I'm. But like that, that festival as well, you know, you wanted to produce Hoppy Beer, Hop City. You know, when when you know in our earlier days and when Hop City first emerged, it was it was the one. Like if these are the beers we want to produce. We need yeah. to get an invite to this place, otherwise we're obviously not hitting the right yeah. notes. And when you are a smaller scale production, and you know that occasionally things can slip or happen. Yeah. You want to have control over those yeah. moments. And so it, having four backup kegs yeah. is kind it of- It kept getting pushed back as well. Yeah. Didn't it last year? So it was like, all right, it's all ready. Oh no, we've got another month. All right, I'll make some more. I just kept having to make more and more beer just for that. And I had a little you know, CO2 dispense system out. I had two big freezers. Yeah. One was, had a little, um, what they call those inkbird things that control the temperature. So one was set five degrees and the other was for hops. And, so I'd kind of constantly just taste one of the kegs from each guile. And they're all tasting great. I was like, this is it. here we go. That's all we think. But soon realized, you know, you're not, I had, I, you have to do a kind of business plan to get AVRS. But on that small scale, like loss is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. People aren't gonna buy beer for the amount of money I'd have to charge for it. Yeah, and like say keg product at that, at that scale is just, yeah, it's almost loss, yeah. loss making. Yeah. And there was no, you know, I've got licensing for four people for the tap room, maximum. As in you could sell to four people? Yeah. So that right. was pointless. Yeah. So <laughs> I soon realized this has got to change somehow. And I remember my, was it my 38th birthday? Yeah. So I was just like, when, when the beer wasn't coming out well, and it was just like, right, I need something to change. And I just, I think I went to bed at like eight mm -hmm. on my 38th birthday. I was like, this is just crap. So got in touch with Eddie, who now works with me, um, who'd worked for a few breweries that contract brew. And he'd come in as a customer a few months prior, um, bought some beer online, and then stayed, drank all his beer and left. 
and we chatted for, you know. So I kind of had him in my mind as someone who knew what they were doing with the contracting world. And I thought, well, the way to start scaling up has to be contracting. because I need yeah. to prove that I can sell that much beer before chucking loads of money into something. You know, you need to have a little bit of proof of industry. You need to have proof of sales that you've, yeah, that you can show to someone or a bank or whoever and say, you know, I've sold this, I could do this. And it kind of, it takes out the, the gamble so much. Yeah. So, and just for context here, I feel like sometimes I'm getting lost. At, at the, this, is re- this is so recent. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. What, what year is this? Like 2019, 2020? No, this is last year. Last year. Wow. Yeah, it's last year. Yeah. So, yeah, so then met Eddie and then we opened the bar for a month in Margate and I could produce for that. So it was one keg a day. I could, so I was in there, again, seven days a week and working in the bar. But I could produce 20 litres, just enough to have a keg a day for five days a week. But that would usually go, we'd open at 12 and that would go by one, you know. Wow. And then we had Steady Rolling Man on, Stiegel Lowe, because they lent us some tables to the outside for free mm-hmm. and something else. And that was really good because the beers were tasting great. You know, I knew what I was going to get every time because the RO was fantastic. Um, I'd mix up hops, ABV usually. Um, and then, yeah. That kind of gave me the confidence to say, you know, I, I'm not going crazy. I can make really good beer. Yeah. Let's take this to a larger scale on the contracting. Um, so, yeah. So you were, I was going to ask about like doubts creeping in and stuff, but you were pretty full, full steam ahead with this now. You're like, if, if this is happening, like one way or another, I'm going to make my beer and, yeah. and I need to see. And if, if, if it had failed, I guess, at this next step, you might have retracted from what is now Flock Brewery. Yeah. But again, you're with contract brewing, the way that you had to do it on the scale you had to do it. People might not know this, but it's not necessarily just in one place. You might be brewing at like three or four different breweries. Yeah. Each with their own processes. That's it. And you're obviously asking them to do certain things that might be out of their general remit. Yeah. Uh, and you lose a little bit of control with that. So yeah. can you kind of just talk as a, to us a bit about you know, was that a good process or was it, was it even more <laughs> difficult than just doing your homebrew and the oxidized cans or what, what kind of came with that territory? I'll say if you, if you want to be on top of it, contract brewing is more work than brewing it yourself. Right. The amount of phone calls, process niggles, things you need to get right. Um, it just ends up being a lot of work and because that was during lockdown, some of the, the first lot, it was, um, you know, you send the recipe, you do it and then you get it back and you taste it for the first time when you get it back. Yeah. And you know, it's all right. It was, yeah, we, we had some issues. I'll put it that way. And um, out of all the contract brews we did, I think we dumped half. Okay. So. so that's quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of money wasted. Yeah. You know? And it's not the, the best uh, advice I can give for anyone wanting to contract brew is find a brewery that makes very similar beers to what you make. Yeah and make sure it's a very safe pair of hands. So just, again, listeners might be at different levels of understanding what, what a contract brewery is. Again, sorry, we're in the brewery today, so doing this, so if you hear crack, crashes and bags. Um, contract brewery is literally handing a recipe to someone yeah. and then producing it for you. Yeah. Sometimes you might be able to go in and kind of do the brew day, but yeah. other times it's literally, this is what I want. Yeah. And you're putting, by the sounds of it, you're quite a detail-oriented person, so you're putting like 
Time of dry hop, temperature of dry yeah, hop. Exactly, but you yeah. have to work within their processes too. Yeah. Um, and I did learn a lot from you know these bigger breweries doing it um, because they've got their own processes and that you know has worked through to some how we do things now. Yeah. So that's yeah. Again, that's the great thing with the brewing industry. People are open to sharing information and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, and if something goes wrong, who's to blame? You know, if it's, a, if it's an infection issue or the beer doesn't taste as good as it should or this, that and the other, who's to blame? If, if it's an infection, it's probably the contract. If it a, it's a, doesn't taste as good as it should, even though you've done that recipe countless times and it tasted great, that's a gray area. Yeah, because you can, you know, you can brew your own beer and it can not, like maybe something was just slightly out and, and it can, might have to dump that recipe, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, but it's very difficult when you've got a second party because you haven't had that control. So no. really you'd think the onus is on them that they haven't done it right. But how do you, how do you negotiate that with someone who's just like, no, we just did what it said on the sheet. Yeah. And you can't really argue with that. No, no, we definitely lost more money than we are yeah. during that time. and through various issues, but you know, the, the batches that were good, you know, sold really well, mm -hmm. people were receptive to it, and they're very similar recipes to what we do now in terms of the grist, the kind of um, dry hopping rates, all that kind of thing. So it was good to learn on a you know, 16 hex scale and then 30 hex. Yeah. That actually, the kind of, the way people think about dry hop rates which you know, is, is the usual homebrew thing. If you, you don't need to scale up, say if you've got 15 grams a litre of one barrel and you do 20 barrel, you, should, you need to increase that dry hop rate. And yeah. I found we don't. I think you get, you know, over eight grams a litre, you get certain kind of nuances with the hops, but it's, I was using the same dry hop rates in those as I was in the, on the bigger kit. We've done it recently with exactly the same dry hop rate and an easy way out on the bigger kit and it's, we're getting exactly the same. It's how, as in like scaled up to that yeah. level, or, yeah. Yeah, and you get the, we're getting the same amount of utilization, same yeah. flavor. Um, it's not under hot, it's just where it should be. And I think it's about how you use them in the process rather than kind of the size you are yeah. myself. But some people will argue that. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the Thirst Time, and this is our interview with Ross Shields. So Flock is now a real thing. It's being produced. You've, you've contracted it. You're having the difficulties of what contracting brings, yeah. but you are getting more beer into the market. Even at 50% losses, it's yeah. still considerably more than what you could achieve by yourself. Yeah. Response-wise, positive. Yeah. Like good feedback. Yeah. So the next like inevitable yeah. step is, and the scariest step maybe is that some money's going to have to go on the line here. <laughs> if, if, if it's going to happen, yeah. there's only one way it can happen. Yeah. And that's putting money on the line yeah. and, and beginning something for yourself. Yeah. So can you kind of take us to what was the, the point where that became apparent that, that, that you really needed to, uh, to, to, to do that, to, to put that money on the table? I think it was during the contracting. We yeah. needed to, I needed to be in control. I'm not a control freak, but I like to know when, when you make something, when you can sell it, or when you, you know, when you package it. And that said to me, well, we've got to just build something ourselves. Yeah. 
Um, we did a big collab with Dea last year, and that kind of showed, showed the, the scale of what you kind of need, and then Theo took me around to the old site, and we had a good chat about kind of the size, a, a good general size that maybe is a good place to start. And, you know, I've spoken to a few other people, and 30 hectares was kind of a good place to start. Yeah. It means you've got a decent amount for can sales and keg sales. Um, you don't necessarily have to scale up within two years or three years. So for me, that was a kind of good place to start. And then it was just trying to find the units. Yeah. Um, seeing Day's model of the tap room being such a key part of it, it was, I needed somewhere that was close to town, um, had a good, a good chance of making the tap room work because the cash flow is just everything. Yeah. And I've learned that now. It's like, it's, it's amazing. It's such a good part of the business. Um, so went to every industrial state in Planet, which is Margate, Ramsgate, all the stairs. Everywhere's three miles out of town, mm-hmm. which you know is all well and good. But when you're starting out, you need to make it easy for people. Maybe down the line, if we had a bit more traction, you could get those people kind of travelling out to you. But if I wanted that to make to work instantly, which I did need it to, then I had to find somewhere closer to town. So kind of broaden our search a bit. Um, saw like 30 units, and then found the one in Canterbury, which we're in now, which you know. It's massive. It's like 7,000 square foot. I miss. Um, and it was nice. It was Big a nice step unit. up from that 400 square foot uh, <laughs> garage that you were basically yeah. doing in at the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the same. It's just, you know, it's like this one. It's in, it's in good nick. It's a place you feel like you wouldn't mind drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an oppressive industrial state. It's got a lot of recreational stuff. Um, it's a 15-minute walk from town. There's a couple of stations that service it. One's five minutes away, one's 12 minutes away. And get, to, get, get there from London in like an hour. So it, it made a lot of sense for the tap room part of it and the business part in terms of the scalability. We've mm-hmm. got like nine meter high ceilings so we can increase the height of the tanks down the line. Um, yeah, it's, it's way too big for us now. We're just rattling around in there. They're worth but three but it will soon be full, no yeah, doubt. That's, yeah, a, that's oh, Every says. time when we, when we moved into this site, it was just like, are we, we going to be able to feel this? This feels huge compared to where we were. Yeah. But suddenly, as you can see, stacks yeah. of cans and dry goods and everything. Yeah. What was the... So you opened your tap room. Yeah. Canterbury's not really where you've been settled. This is a slightly different market. I yeah, didn't know anything about the city. So I, you've settled in a new space for yourself, so you don't know the lay of the land, really. No. What was the response like to, to starting something like that? I imagine you're one of the only games in town down that way. There's a... There's a Brew pub in town, which kind of concentrates on more traditional styles. Yeah. Which is great, you know, they do their thing. But because it's such a Chepanese orientated town, because it's not, sorry, city, um, because it's such an old city, all the pubs have been bought by Chepanese over the years. Mm-hmm. So it, there seemed to be a kind of, I heard the phrase, Canterbury needs this a lot. Yeah. Which is nice to hear because I didn't think about that when we opened. You know, you go through the, investment round and all this kind of stuff and you're speaking to people to give you a loan and you know you like you put them you put the numbers on paper and you you know you're, pluck, you're plucking projections out of the sky yeah i don't know how everyone else does it but you can't be 100 percent right with that and yeah you know, just, you, like economics is the science of assumption you yeah. just have to assume <laughs> that things go well yeah. or not you yeah. know um so it was the more and more we kind of looked at Canterbury, the more realised it's a much better option. It's kind of more central to Kent, better for distribution, um, location of it, just works. But yeah, we have no local market. Not like you guys in Manchester, where you know you've got a lot of 
local trade. We, you know, we've got one place that takes our beer in Canterbury. Wow. That's it. So we are kind of quite a lot, quite heavy on wholesale at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously can sales are a bit easier to send through the courier network. And then the export thing's working now. So, but it's, it's been a really good choice. I think. Yeah. But not, and it looks like a beautiful site, like yeah, what I've Not what quite I've as seen. stunning as this one, but. This is taking, you know, <laughs> I, when I asked you before we started the interview, how long, like timeline-wise, and yeah. you were like four months. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's like really recent. Yeah. This is eight, coming up to eight years. So it's, yeah. it's, it, it can be a long game. And when you are going through the kind of pains of how you have to get investment or like the, the money that you've got at the start, like yeah. these projects, they, they eat cash very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, scale-wise and what you actually want to invest in, you've got to be very sure about. And you can see some people like really over-egg it and obviously they've yeah. just got someone who's thrown loads of cash at it, but they have no identity, no real like presence in the market and they yeah. sink because you end up maybe trying to get into Aldi or Lidl or yeah. Tesco or something really quickly, but you have no presence. No one knows who you are as a brand. Right. You haven't built trustability. Um, so you, you chose the, the harder route to some degree, but also, you know, to reflect on what the journey you've been on, is there anything that you would change in that? Or are you happy pinballing around and learning from every mistake and you think it makes you better as a brewer and as a business owner? I think you have to, you know, some of the yeah. problems with the contracts were not through any of our, our fault, but you learn what you don't want to happen. Yeah. You learn, you know, to be consistency. Like Danny at Beak said to me, just concentrate on the brand and the beer. And that's it. But also, yeah, consistency of product, making sure there's no issues with it. That is for us, building now foundations of the business. Because we had no foundations, you know, we'd have two or three pallets a month go out mm -hmm. and get sent out and come back. It'd be specials every time. But we had no foundations. We had no study running man. We have no Sonoma, you know, that kind of thing. So for us at the moment, it's about building the foundations, consistent product, yeah. um, making sure everything's as it should be and just, just building the business and making sure the bills are paid because anyone going into this, it's just, it's obscene, the amount of cash. We, yeah. we had moments when we were doing that build where you know, it was cold, it was like, we got the keys September last year. I got the keys, the, I got signed the lease the day after my second kid was born. And they were calling me, I said, don't call me, do not phone me on this day um, when we were going in for, um, to, to have her and it was like and they called me like eight times landlord trying to complete the lease I was like you've got to be kidding me anyway so we signed the lease got the keys you know daughter's like a week old I was like I've got to go to the brewery we've got to start kicking things off because you know with Covid coming out of Covid like all the trades been really busy you need to get start getting the floor done that takes two months like everything I had to start I had a five month rent free period and then we have to start producing contracts do not pay for the amount of money I was spending on that yeah. place. So we needed to be up and running within five months. And there was no like, yeah, we'd have been screwed out it. So it's just finding that kind of cash is hard. Yeah. Um, I did a funding round, tried to do a funding round, did an investment deck, you know, took a couple of months to do that. Found there's a way of finding every person who's put in X amount of money and over X amount of money into breweries over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm whip that out to like 400 people, no takers. Yeah, because um, you had no proof of product as much. I had a little bit, yeah. A little bit, but not, not huge. Breweries have kind of been 
The investment in breweries has been misused quite a lot. Yeah, I think over the years, so people are a bit cautious with it. It's a it's a competitive market. It's not stagnated, but it's kind of it's not growing as it was. Yeah, five years ago, is it? So I think people are a bit hesitant to put their money into it. You know, I had this brew kit on order from China. It was like three hundred grand, but then seeing the shipping costs rising, I put a deposit down on it. It was oh, like. Man. And thinking I was easily going to get this money because everyone was like, yeah, yeah, you'll get it. And I was like, and then slowly but surely I realized I wasn't going to get the money. So I had to negate on that, um, got money back. And then I realized, you know, and then I called a few UK suppliers and they're like, you know, we've got eight, nine month lead time. I was like, well, that ain't going to happen. Wow. I'm <laughs> Man. So, so this is getting yeah, like it was, blood pressure yeah, yeah, yeah. going up. Stressful. Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, opened up to friends and family, I gave them the pitch deck um, to SEIS, which is Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, so they get a bit of money off their tax bill at the end of it, um, got a bit from that, and then just took a massive loan. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Yeah. <laughs> the bank yeah. world. Just took a massive loan. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's, I mean, this is... I have so much admiration because I've been with track pretty much from day dot, but I never made that initial investment into it. And like getting a bit more understanding for business and friends who've got bars or anything. Yeah. When people take that step, that commitment, yeah. I have so much respect. Even if I think the business isn't necessarily right, yeah. the guts and the gusto it takes to say, right, you, I don't know how you did it, but like people put their mortgage on the line. They, they you know, it's a big, big, big yeah. uh, testament to your resolve of, and the, you have to have faith, but obviously that is, there's a lot more pressure that comes with that. I mean, you get to a stage where you can't, I sometimes call it a hamster wheel, I can't yeah. get off. It's just literally, um, there's been moments where, like say, they had this four foot diamond cutter cut in the floor and he was in the unit and I got a phone call from the finance company saying, oh, your mortgage lender won't release the money. And I was like, I just looked at Eddie and went, we're fucked. Like, we can't do this. Like, we don't get our money. We, are, we can't pay these guys who are doing this for. Yeah. And they're like, we're screwed. And then, you know, three hours later, I got through to the mortgage company and said, oh, it's fine. Oh, yeah, not realizing that you're like, there, yeah. whole, like having a seizure on the floor, just yeah. like, it's all over. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the power that they wield over that kind of thing. But then it just keeps on going. You know, we, I started to put the money down as, um, instead of putting thousands or zeros on the end of stuff, I just put it as the first number or the first two numbers. So yeah. instead of 10,000, I'll put 10 and 20,000, I'll put 20. Yeah. It just made it a bit more approachable. Yeah. Not, not as fear inducing. Yeah. They call as, it Brewer's currency. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is so cool. Thanks so much for sharing this, Ross, because I think that um, maybe this is, is the side of an industry that's not really as explored as much. And it's, it's so fresh for you. Like when I've done it with, say, Adam at Verdant, you know, that was a couple of years back and they yeah. were just about to move into their new yeah. site and a really successful crowd campaign. Like had, yeah. you know, one of the most lauded hazy beers in, yeah. in Europe, maybe, yeah. you know, further afield. Um, but this is still fresh and you're still dealing with all of these things you know, four months in yeah. to, to the business. So if we can like skip back to what initially got you into this, which was the quote by Logan Plant, which yeah. was that... It's just 
something about um, the, the people. Yeah, the reason I got into this business was because of the people. Yeah, and it reminds me of how good it is. Yeah. Now you've been, you know, welcomed into the fold of craft breweries by your peers pretty quickly. Like, yeah. and that is a testament to the beer that you produce, obviously. But how how has that helped you carry on and given you belief to carry on through through these challenges? To, to still pursue this? Must be huge. Yeah, the, the, the day one last year was amazing. Yeah. Know? And to, you know, again, I took, Theory was like, can we do a tap takeover? I was like, yeah, I've got two cakes. Because it, it was during the bar in Margate. Yeah. I've got two 20 litre cakes. Amazing. I didn't have any cake badges, nothing like that. And then they poured at the tap room and they were like 4.2 odd on untapped and both of them. And it was just like, all right, well, it stands up. Yeah. So that's nice. And then having, you know, being able to speak to Gareth, the head brewer, and asking questions and people being so open to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. And the openness of people to talk about their processes and if something's going wrong with a beer you're making or you don't know why it's not going right, you can, you can always ask. Yeah. And people are open to it. But yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's difficult because we've, we've done collabs now with so many of the... the the most highly regarded breweries in the country, <clears throat> that it's, you don't want the kind of brand just to become a, or the beer that we make just to become a kind of inferior product to that. Yeah. Just, but what it does when you surround yourself with, like you guys, Verdant, Bayer, whoever, it's just, it makes your beer that you want to make as good as it can be, as world-class as it can be every time. And yeah. you kind of, the aspirations are higher. So I'm, I'm not an easy person to work with, with the beer. I'm very critical of everything that comes out. If there's a problem, I'll flag it. I'm yeah. not, you know, I never churn out anything that I don't want to drink or don't love. Um, you know, we've done three batches in the new site already that weren't right. And for me, like, we need to sell every batch. So yeah. it's a big dent on revenue, but I just don't want to send it out. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's a huge value in perception of the brewery yeah. to be with. And the amount of interest you get from working with the bigger guys is, is, is very good. But I mean, we cut our teeth as well, like in a similar way, like collaborations. When Matt came on as a head brewer, he's come from a homebrew setup. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, again, he hadn't invested in, in track, but he came on shadowing Sam and yeah. then obviously started developing recipes. You know, we were doing collaborations and me and Matt would travel pretty much everywhere. And it would basically be like asking people, how, you, how do you do this? You know, like, because we're so young in our game, you know, you're kind yeah. of making it up as you go along yeah. and you, you think you've got ideas, but to be stand with the peers um, that you respect yeah. and to get insight. Yeah. And I know that like collaborations have come, like being, been, been criticized quite a lot for, well, it's just a DOS day, this, that, and the other. It's like, if you're a young business trying to get your foot yeah. into the market and you get to sit or be in a space for a day with people who've done it exactly. and are doing it really well. Yeah. You know, people will do uni courses to do that kind of yeah. thing. Or there's yeah. a masterclass yeah. on the internet. Like yeah. it, it's literally, you can ask those questions and like I say, people are generally open yeah. to want to share things. So we've been sharing stuff this morning. I'm like, if I can help you in any way, yeah. like, cause I recognize all of the, the pains that we had to go through and it's just little things, maybe, you know, a Shopify app that might help or something yeah. like that. But that, that is the people part of this business, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, we can, 
share stories, how we do certain things, recipe tweaks, dry hop, um, you know, and it really surrounding, for us surrounding ourselves with the best in the business, mm -hmm. not only kind of elevates the brand to a certain level, it also makes us want to be better. And there's a healthy competition, like you kind of touched on. It's like, we, we, you know, we've got Cloudwater over the road who are an absolute world-class brewery. Yeah. We're drinking their beers. Yeah. We're trying them. It's like, we're drinking our beers. It's like, are we standing up in the market? Exactly. Because like, for us, it's, and, and yourself, it's a question of, if I'm not making something I'm passionate about and think it's great, then why are we doing this? And we have, we have to try and make it better. Not that it is, but we have to try and make it because we're not established. We're just, yeah. we're young. So... People will go for, especially in beer, you know, most people do it. They go to a bar and they'll just order what they've had before because it's, you know, it's safe, especially with people's money at the moment. You, want, you know you want to get what you want. Mm -hmm. You don't want to take a gamble so much. And I think it's, that's going to get even worse over the next yeah. couple of years. So we need to make it as good as it can be every time. Going back to that consistency thing. So when people spend their hard-earned money on our beer, they know they're getting something good. Yeah. Um, and so for us, that's... That's everything, and, and yeah, it's a trust, isn't it? Like with yeah. a relationship that you're building, yeah. and, and you and want. It doesn't take long to lose you. that. No, you know, if something goes wrong with the beer or something, you know, and that's through the contracts. From, you know, you quickly lose customers if something goes wrong. Yeah. So if we could sum up that journey that we've just talked about there in one word, just as a look back, what what would it be? Stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be something like that. The other hard part, I guess, for you now is that um, you're a business owner. You're not the brewer anymore. No. So you have to let go of the physical aspect of producing. You've obviously got the palate and the, you're trying it at the end and critiquing it. Yeah. And it was exactly the same with Sam. You know, he doesn't, he's not on the wet side at all anymore. Yeah. Has that been a hard transition or it just, just an inevitable transition? I think it's inevitable when we're such a small team that running a brewery, you can't do everything. It's yeah. impossible. You've got to take a step back and realize you can't. I mean, I'm still very much on the brew floor a lot, mm -hmm. tasting the beers. We kind of have, at the beginning, it was just like, get it. Is it good at the end? Yeah, great. But now it's, we've got kind of SOPs in place for trying it throughout the process, pre-dry yeah. hop, post-first post dry hop, um, certain temperatures, carbonation levels, you know, everything's got a certain way of doing things now, but yeah, it's, I mean, Tim's been amazing, yeah. our head brewer, so he's, you know, he's, he's pulled us along and got us out of the, out of the trenches. So I think now we've looked back a lot, and the, again, this stuff is fresh. This is four months, you're four months into your new site and tap room, uh, which looks amazing, and can't wait to kind of get down there and try the beers fresh at the source, but... If we look into the future and we, I generally ask this is like, how do you see the industry? But I think maybe for this, maybe it's more important to ask you like how you see your business. Like what, what are the next five years looking like for Flock and would you like them to look like for Flock? I think for the next six to eight months, we are just laying the foundations. So we're keeping it pretty, you know, making sure the beer is how it should be every time, consistently building the brand through the beer being great mm -hmm. and then I'd like to see us build export I'd like to see us build more direct customer base but also just build the brand into something more than 
just a brewery. I think we will start moving away a little bit from beer and doing a couple of other things. Yeah. Just to make it a little bit larger than um, just to insulate ourselves from any downtime with the brewing industry or anything like that. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's a, breweries are brands. Yeah. And it's a, it's a dirty word. It's well, yeah, it's the one I always say. Is you, you need to build out the brand and the, the product is obviously beer, but like it can be so much more. To me, it's an exciting term. It's yeah. like what a brand is. It's yeah. an experience. Like exactly. When you, when you buy, I don't know, Nike shoes or something, running shoes, there's, yeah. there's an element of experience to it yeah. and there's the packaging and it's all exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or an Apple product. Why do you always buy an Apple product if, you, if you're... So sorry, expensive. Android users. Yeah, it's so expensive. It kind of doesn't make any sense, yeah. but there's a trust element that you've got there. Yeah. Um, yeah, the brand part to me is the most exciting part, I guess, because it, it allows you to you realize that beer is a facilitator for so much more, yeah. like conversations, yeah. like meaningful conversations or just, you know, catching up with friends or, you know, we've got our running club tonight, which you're going to take part in. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't bought your running stuff. I'll give you, give you an excuse. But, but things like that is, that's, that's exciting. And I think people really, I think people respond to that and, th and that's what they kind of want. And you're in an area, like you said, in Canterbury where there's nothing really like what you're doing around there. And people say, this is what Canterbury needed. It's because they want an outlet for, that's different to, to what's already there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's about the experience, isn't it? It's not just about the beer. It's not just about where you are. It's about how you feel when you buy that can or, yeah. you know, when you're looking at the artwork, someone's put some effort into it and, um, they're starting to do music, live music at the brewery, um, DJs on Saturday night, make that a kind of hub of the community that yeah. has a certain vibe that is just exciting, interesting, um, and yeah, just being all around kind of encompasser of good times. I don't, yeah. I, the thing is the beer, I've never found it, I've never enjoyed the serious aspect of it. Oh, no, some of our merch recently, we've done just for fun, yeah. because beer should be about fun. Yeah, I don't enjoy that kind of, full-on critique of every beer I have or sometimes it's just about enjoying a pint with your mates um, so we try and keep it like that and that's trying to give that perception through the brand so yeah. nothing too serious um, yeah yeah I kind of say it's like you, you, you're actually really serious about what you do but you don't take yourself too seriously no, you, so you, you can it's allow it to just be it's so social lubricant for want yeah. of a better word like and, and that's kind of where it sits in our our society really yeah. and, and that's uh, that's not something that we should push away from no. but if you want to geek out we can go there too <laughs> like there's room <laughs> for that too um okay Russ thanks so much for doing this man it's been really cool to learn more about your journey and kind of see where you're at with things so I guess we should round this up which is trying to think of the best way to to structure this 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 last question but you're in a bar they have every beer that's ever been made on tap. They can produce any beer you would require in an instant. There's a TV in the corner that says there's a comet about to hit us in an hour. Oh. And the barman just like slaps his hand on the bar and says, what are you drinking? I've been asked this before. And I said the same thing. In, in exactly the same context? No, no, <laughs> yeah. no, not quite stressful. The pre-apocalypse yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. Um, yeah, it would be Stadio Verde Man. It's like my, you know, it's a, it's a go-to for me. Yeah. Should I have said Sonoma? No, man, I'm not, there's no, you can drink Sonoma all you want, but yeah, Steady is the one. Yeah, I can drink pints and pints and pints and pints of that. And that's, you know, that's the aim of any brewery really is to make a beer 
that is a kind of a modern classic that you yeah. can just slam down and yeah and that's you know we're working on it but it takes a bit of time to get there yeah and they've honed that over years and yeah. years and they've, they keep honing it it's not it's not a static game it's like no. constant little tweaks yeah. to make it better and better and better yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's an awesome beer yeah Sounds like a good pre-apocalyptic <laughs> beer. Um, thanks so much, Ross. Cheers, really, man. really appreciate thanks it, mate. And that's it. Another episode done. Thank you so much for listening. A massive thanks to Ross for being such a willing participant <laughs> in an interview when I totally sprang it on him. He wasn't expecting that at all. And shoving a camera in his face. Like I said at the start of this one, this one's actually been filmed and you can go watch it on YouTube if you like. Uh, all set up in our lovely little tap room there. Thanks again to Tom Coucher for producing this episode. If you'd like to share, like, send to whoever you'd like, please do. If you want to leave a review, that's always appreciated too. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Stay thirsty.